Ephesians chapter 1. And if you would join me in prayer, let's go to the Lord and uh, ask His favor on our time. Holy Spirit, we are here because you alone are God, creator, king of the universe. And we pray today for your glory and our joy that you would make your name great. Lord Jesus, we pray today that you would be glorified and exalted among us. We pray that you would teach now, Holy Spirit, by the ministry Jesus has granted you to reveal him and make him big. We pray that you would conquer all distractions, all things outside of the purpose of the gospel, that you would bring your people to focus on you, make much of you, take your word, make it accomplish its purpose, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 1, verse 7 to 10. Uh, I kind of figured... uh, after last week, uh, we would thin out the necessity of planting a new campus quite quickly. Um, <laughs> by the looks of things, we might have achieved that just a bit. Anytime you preach uh, in verses 4 to 6 of Ephesians chapter 1, it has a tendency to do that. And so that's okay. And I did think upon this this week, and not in justification in my own mind. Um, it's the Bible. Uh, We believe the Bible, we believe the inerrancy of Scripture, we believe it doesn't affirm anything contrary to fact. And uh, and I had the thought this week, because I got an invitation, I'm going to say this very cryptically because I don't want them to stop recording, uh, but an invitation from a dear friend who's a mentor to me and who graciously uh, takes me under his wing uh, to go with him and a few other men to a place in the planet where the church is radically persecuted yet grows exponentially through persecution and, uh, and had the thought this week how we in the West have the liberty of a Baskin-Robbins type mentality when it comes to the church. As we find our flavor and if we taste a flavor we don't like, we just decide we can jettison it and, and move on. And uh, because we don't like those passages of Scripture. And, I, and, and that unfortunately is the brand of the faith in the West. Whereas their persecution is the means by which the gospel goes forward and you just can't stop them. And so as I thought on that this week and the opportunity to go there and learn and see and observe and taste the grace of the Lord to grow His kingdom through the middle of persecution, I thought how opposite it is here. And so what a glory it is to realize that God still takes passages like Ephesians 1 and He saves sinners and draws to Himself those through whom and by whom he will make his name great from all nations. And so this morning we go to the text to see, perhaps in the eyes of some, a lighter side of Ephesians chapter 1, but no less glorious than Ephesians 1, 3 to 6. And this this day, we'll, we'll take a look at that. If you're looking at the titles, if you're looking on the blog, I think it's uh, they put the little web address up there, mitchjolly.wordpress.com. You can see the notes there that I have in front of me, I post those up there for you to follow along if you want. You can look along during the week as you listen online. Let's read it, Ephesians 1, 7 to 10. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according 
to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Well, we've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And it's easy to read such passages and just move on and the gravity of that glory not land on us. But we have been, as we have looked at 33 occurrences in, in Ephesians of in Christ and these blessings of being placed in Christ, we've been seated with Him in the heavenly places. That's huge. We've been transformed by and are with and we know in personal communion and relationship with the cosmic Christ who rules the spiritual dimensions. And has given us the glorious, precious mission of advancing His rule and establishing His kingdom through the church by whom the proclamation of His wisdom we learn in Ephesians is being made of His manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That is a grand thing. And that is a mouthful. But we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is proclaimed in the heavenly places to the principalities and powers. God's glory is put on display in the heavenlies. Not space, the spiritual dimension in which we live and are a part of. We're seated with Christ there. That's huge. Our exaltation to be in and with Christ is a massive reality. And our mission of kingdom come and His will being done through the church among all nations is a glorious, glorious mission. Our state was fallen. We were broken. And we've learned that Jesus can save Saul's and turn them into Paul's. We've learned that Jesus can take spiritual pagans, people who consulted the magical arts, and people who were involved in that realm, in the demonic realm, and He can turn them into saints and faithful in Christ Jesus. We've learned the blessing of Father's election to sanctification and His election to adoption as children to the praise of His glorious grace. And we've seen that Paul sees that as blessing, not a theological flavor of which you get to choose, pardon the pun. And some of you guys didn't realize that was a pun. I don't know what he's talking about. (laughs) I'm sorry. That wasn't funny. The blessing, and it is a blessing. It is a blessing of Father's glorious elective purposes to sanctification and adoption as children. And as we learned last week, to the praise of His glorious grace is a kind and gracious act that we are to glory in, not debate the reality of. We learned and we sang last week We raise empty hands and filthy rags as our best offering of our self-righteousness. But trust in the justifying work of Jesus Christ in the place of sinners. And as a result, we wear His righteousness as our own through faith in Christ. 
and we remember the lens through which we're studying Ephesians, is that it explains what the church's cosmic role is as the body of the cosmic Christ. We have a role. We're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, and we have a function. We have a role. We have a mission. And Ephesians will reveal for us the position and job description of the church in affecting the kingdom of God. That is here and is coming in power and will fully come upon the return of Christ and the completion of the Great Commission. And it answers the question, what does it mean to be in Christ? And what does that demand of me and of us together? We're going to see that chapters 1 to 3 are going to tell us what we need to believe about the glorious riches of the Father's grace to us in Christ Jesus. And what we need to believe and know about our exalted position with Him. He's not finished unpacking what it means to be in Him. There's more to come. Chapters 4 to 6 are going to tell us the implication. It's going to tell us the actions that are required of this grace for the church. But before we get to our role, we get to keep unpacking our spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. In this blessing song that Paul has written to the Ephesians. We get to keep discovering our spiritual position that does and will affect our physical position in the advance of the kingdom. And today, Paul continues to list our blessings in Christ in verse 7 to 10. And these blessings are of magnificent glory and weight. It's vital to remember right here that who we are who we are, determines what we do. Our identity in Christ affects everything. Who you are affects everything. Right? If you get a piece of mail that does not have your name on it, someone else's name, it does not affect you, does it? If you get a property tax bill with John Doe's name, you know, doesn't concern me. But when you get one that says Mitchell H. Jolly, you're like, oh, oh God. Because that's my identity and it affects me. Who we are as in Christ affects everything. We are not our own. We've been bought with the cost of Jesus Christ's life in the place of me, a rebel, to purchase me from my rebellion. So before we go rushing off into chapters 4 to 6, and what do you want us to do? What's the to-do list? What are the five things I can do right now? Let's stop, slow down, and drink deeply of our identity. I think in our naturalistic bent, in the naturalistic bent of our, our culture and our worldview that is really on, in my estimation, we're on the last gaspes, gaspes, gasps, I wasn't reading that, so I can't blame that on dyslexia. That was, that was just Silver Creek at its finest right there. I think naturalism as a worldview is breathing its last gasps of air, and we're starting to see the last of a naturalistic worldview, and it's in academia. It's not in pop culture anymore because it's worthless and useless, and there's no purpose in it, and people see that and know that. 
But because we are still in it and we've been educated by it, we have a tendency to look at the natural before we do the unseen. And as a result, we're pragmatists. And so we just want to look at things that work and start doing things that we think work because we think that what works affects the kingdom. And what we've got to understand is Jesus doesn't operate in pragmatism. He doesn't function in what works. He functions in the values of His kingdom. And they're not the values of naturalism. He doesn't care whether or not they work. Because abortion works. It achieves its mission. And we all know it's not right. So just because it works doesn't mean it's what we're supposed to do. So before we go rushing into chapters 4 to 6 and get our to-do list, let's drink deeply of our identity and bask in the glory of whose we are. Of what we are. Who we are. And may God, through our asking in prayer, grant us the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit to prepare us in settling who we are. That we can then advance the kingdom through the work. Don't look past the why to the what. Don't be so hurried to get to what we need to do to miss why. Because who we are is the why. We're citizens of another kingdom. That is here and is coming in full glory and power. Enjoy the why. Enjoy the why as the fuel of the what. So in verses 7 to 10 that we've read, what do they tell us about our continued blessings in Christ? Well, number one, we have been redeemed according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. I want just a little expositional note here. When you read verse 7 to 10, this little phrase, which He lavished on us, applies to these blessings we're going to see this morning. The lavishing of these blessings apply. Which, by the way, this this section here, verse 3, all the way down through verse 10, is a single sentence in the original language. you got to get that. Meaning there's all these connected ideas and direct objects and prepositions and adjectives and nouns and verbs. And they're all interrelated and connected, not disconnected. And so this... This, this language of that He lavished on us applies to these things today. Does that make sense? So number one, we've been redeemed lavishly according to the riches of His grace. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of His trespasses, or forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. After the blessing of Father's election of a people rescued from the rebellion as a gift to the Son. I hope you went and played with John last week. I hope you took that footnote and went and read. It's glorious. You are a gift from the Father to the Son. That's part of your identity. Part of your identity. Read John 10, please. 
Just, just please read John 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. If you don't do anything else today after the Falcons game, kick off at one. Read and enjoy this beautiful reality. Those you have given to me will come to me. They hear my voice. I call them. They don't listen to strangers because they don't know strangers. They know my voice because you gave them to me. They're mine. I hold them in my hand. And of all those you gave me, I lose none of them. My goodness, that's rich. If you belong to Christ, you cannot be lost from Christ. You will not go with other voices because you know they're not Him. You know His voice. You follow Him. Isn't that glorious? It's who you are. You're His. You're held by Him. He does not lose you. You will hear His voice and you will follow Him. Because you won't follow other voices because they're not Him. Isn't that awesome? Jesus says such. I'm totally off my notes. I'm, by the way, you just got to understand, I'm an extemporaneous communicator. That's my wiring. And this old manuscript thing is good discipline for me, but boy, it really is hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's good, though. It's good. So after the blessing of Father's election to give the Son a precious gift of humanity redeemed, Paul then expounds on the status of these holy and blameless and adopted children with the fact that we've been redeemed. Well, what the heck is redemption? What does it mean to have been redeemed? You ever look at coupons? Some of y'all might not have the glory of having to clip coupons. My precious wife rocks the house with couponage. Some of them have at the bottom, and, and, and many coupons say, to be redeemed at. You know, what does redeemed mean? See, I, my, some of my undergraduate work, I have economics and business. And I love econ. I love economics. And, and one of the things you'll discover real quickly economically, you know, my kids talk about, oh, that's free. We got a coupon for something free. It's not free. Thank you, Greg. There's no such thing as a free lunch, is there? You want to know why? You may receive it without dropping currency. But somebody paid for it. That BOG card that Truett gave out and that Chick-fil-A gives out, be our guest a free sandwich. It's not free. He paid for it. And in him paying the price for it and eating the cost, you get the benefit of it. That's redemption. You tracking with that? You, you, you feel a little gospel feel to that? Let me tell a story to illustrate the point of redemption that will kind of help us here. It's a story I've heard hundreds of times. I can't even find a source for it. So I just put it in quotes. I'm telling you, it's not mine. I'm borrowing, and I guess it's public domain. I've read it in a hundred things. And they don't even footnote who it comes from. So, story. In a city on the shore of a great lake lived a small boy who loved the water and sailing. So deep was his fascination that he, with the help of his father, spent months making a beautiful model boat, which he began to sail at the water's edge. One day, a sudden gust of wind caught the tiny boat and carried it far out into the lake and out of sight. Distraught, the boy returned home inconsolable. Day after day, he would walk the shores in search of his treasure, but always in vain. Then one day, he was walking through town. He saw 
his beautiful boat in the store window. He approached the proprietor and announced his ownership, only to be told that it was not his, for the owner had paid a local fisherman good money for the boat. If the boy wanted the boat, he would have to pay the price. And so the lad set himself to work doing anything and everything until finally he returned to the store with the money. At last, holding his precious boat in his arms, he said with great joy, You are twice mine now, because I made you and because I bought you. This is just like our redemption. Redemption is a payment of a price. And this price was Christ's own blood. And the object was our souls, our very who we are. All of humanity was in the slave market of sin and thus powerless to effect self-deliverance. But Christ has purchased His church with an infinite price as the Scriptures attest to. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without spot or blemish. Listen to Hebrews nine twelve. But when Christ appeared as the high priest, the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood and goats and cows, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Because... We've been chosen in Christ as a precious gift from the Father to the Son that we may praise Him for His glorious grace. He has redeemed us from the slave market of sin that Adam sold us into through the rebellion against the Father. We have to remember that apart from Christ, we were slaves of sin and following the course of this world system that is ran by what Paul calls in chapter 2, verse 2, the prince of the power of the air. But Christ Jesus has come and He has bought us back so that we are twice His, created by Him and rescued by Him from our slavery to the rebellion, and now we are rebelling against the rebellion because we are His. And to be faithful to the text, we've not just been ransomed. We've been lavishly redeemed. Not just redeemed, lavishly redeemed. I wasn't just rescued from the market of sin and allowed to go wander off on my own to figure it out. I was redeemed from the slave market of sin and adopted into the family of my Redeemer and made a son. And with that redemption, I've gained access, we'll see here in the week or two, I've gained access to an inheritance and a purpose that is far above what I could ever imagine. Our redemption is lavish and it's more enough, more than enough and it's more than abundant. We've been redeemed and that carries massive implications. I'll give you just a couple. One, I'm no longer my own. Listen, Jesus doesn't redeem a people that the Father's given him so he can just set them to go do whatever the heck they want to do. Paul says this, I am not my own, I've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. The aim of my life must be the glory of Jesus Christ, who redeemed me from my state. 
I'm part of the redeemed. I'm part of the church now because of that. I'm part of the family. I've been adopted. We saw that last week. I've been adopted in the family of God. And I exist to praise Him for His grace with all those others who've been redeemed from the slave market of sin. And we've been put on a mission of making His name great. That's why you were made. As you were redeemed and put on a team of light-redeemed people for the praise of the One who redeemed you among all the nations where He is going to gather people who have been redeemed like you. This is why you can go to those places and have instant fellowship with people who have been redeemed like you. Because they too were in the slave market of sin and He took them out and placed them on the same team and put the same Spirit in them. That's kind of cool. That's called the church. Another implication is I have a mission that transcends a mere job. My job now becomes the means. The means of renewing the whole world from its broken state through the supernatural work of the kingdom through the gospel. And bringing all things back under the rule of Jesus Christ as they are restored to health, beauty, and freedom. I want to say more about that in the conclusion. Our redemption is deep and rich. And we will spend an eternity understanding all of it. And this is just a glimpse into the glory of our redemption in Christ. Number two. We've been forgiven according to the riches of His grace. We've been lavishly forgiven. We've been pardoned. Forgiveness is the idea of a debt being wiped out. We understand that. Justification is the next level of the salvific work of the gospel. Where the Father not only forgives us, but credits us with the righteousness of Christ. It's the beautiful work of justification. God forgives, He pardons. But He doesn't just leave us in a forgiven state. He then credits to us the perfection of Jesus. That's the totality of the work of the gospel in an individual. But we often forget the glories of justification. And in our body, our flesh's fallen state, we forget that and we hang on ourselves, hear this carefully, we hang on ourselves guilt that is truly not ours anymore. Although still in sin. And in so doing, we forget the complete nature of Christ's work. Not only do we forget that we've been credited with the righteousness of Christ. We forget the front end work. That we've been forgiven, pardoned. Forgiveness is the pardoning work of the removal of sins. Justification is the crediting of the perfection of Christ. And again, I say it's easy to forget. Not only am I credited with Christ's perfection, but I forget the front end work that my sin has been pardoned. And as a result, I hang on myself, my past guilt and my present sin, and fear what my future sin will hang on me. The text says that He has forgiven us our trespasses. Those past sins are gone. 
I am not credited with them. Listen to Psalm 103. Somebody's not sure y'all realize you've been pardoned. Do you, do you walk in feeling like your past failures before God are on display before God? If you do, you have forgotten the glorious work of the gospel. Not only are we forgiven, we are justified. So let's start at the beginning and see what God does in forgiveness. You want to see some beautiful stuff? Psalm 103, 11 to 12. I mean, what do we see here in the text? He lavished upon us the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Listen to Psalm 103, 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Do you understand that's an infinite distance? I hope you understand there's no like point on the map where which way is east? And you get there and it's like, nope, we're, we're there. We reached the destination. There's an end to it. No matter how far east you go, east is still moving on the other direction. You get that? As far as the east is from the west, so far as you removed your transgressions from us. Do you know what that means? In Christ, you've been forgiven. In Christ, your sin is no longer counted against you because He has taken it away. That's huge. Listen to Isaiah 44, 21 and 22. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You're my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. Stinking cool. All of my past and present sins are forgotten by God in Christ. No longer Jeremiah thirty one thirty four, and notice we're not even in the New Testament with these passages. This is this this is the, the gospel in the Old Testament. We tell you that you, you heard it this morning, Joseph in the Lord's Supper. This glorious work of pardoning sin has always been how God works. And so these glimpses of the gospel in the Old Testament are beautiful. Jeremiah 31, 34, No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Wow. Not only have we been forgiven, but we've been forgiven lavishly. Our sins have not just been pardoned, they've been done away with. You can walk in front of a judge and have your ticket pardoned. But you will always, always have that in the background somewhere. The Bible goes so far as to tell us that not only have we just been pardoned, they have been pardoned lavishly, and then He takes us to the level of justifying us and crediting crediting us with His perfection. There is no sin debt against you. 
Do you get that? In Christ, there is no past you are accountable for before God. That, that's true. That's part of our blessing of being in Christ. Now, we said this last week. Lest you think that is a license to remain in sin, don't forget part of His elective purpose was that you would be holy and blameless. Those who are in Christ can't go on sinning. Why? Because Jesus' voice is too darn loud. I hear Him and He calls to me. And you go, why are you even talking to me? I abandoned you. Your mind come to me. Okay. Why? He doesn't drop His people. He won't let you stay in sin. That's 1 John 3. Right? We know this. Your guilt is no longer there. That's who we are. So we don't have to fear ministry. As though somehow, somehow my spiritual guilt will keep the ministry from going forward. Now don't hear if you go act like a fool, you won't lose your ministry. Understand that the spiritual oomph going on around you is that of justified before God. And when you head into ministry, there is no guilt there. There is nothing to keep you from advancing the gospel and domain of society where you are. Because you're in Christ, you're guiltless. Therefore, don't be held back by this feeling of my past keeps me from serving. No! In Christ, you are not guilty. Therefore, the entire church at Ephesus was to understand they were in Him. And as those in Him, they had a mission had a job of making him big and they were to engage. Are you hearing that? So if you're coming thinking, man, you just don't know what I did. No, I don't. He does. And he's pardoned you. And he's washed it away. And he said, you are mine. Come to me. And so therefore, there is nothing there to keep you from engaging in the work. Our sins have been done away with to such a degree that the eternal weight of them can never touch us again. You're not going to stand before Jesus and He's not going to say, remember that thing you did last summer. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, because you are in my Son and I see His righteousness. You are mine. Enter into the joy of your Master. Jesus' payment for them is so complete that we cry out with Paul in Romans 8 1, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You understand at the end of days when we stand before Christ, it's not for judgment of your sin. I hope you get that. We're not Catholics. You don't pay for your salvation in good works. You get in on the merit of Jesus. And what you get from God is the evaluation of what you have done in Christ for reward, not for punishment. You need to get that. You need to feel that. There's no angel on your shoulder recording your bad works. That's Islam, not Christianity. You hear that? You in Christ are pardoned. And this is part of the blessing of being in Christ. There's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. All we will get is reward for being in Christ, for our faithfulness in the kingdom. Does that set any of you free? Does that make any of you angry because you'd rather earn your favor before God? Gee, if I can earn my favor, God owes me something. 
Why'd that bad thing happen to me? I've been good. Your problem is you just think you are in favor before God. Bottom line is, I've earned nothing. I receive all as a lavish gift of grace. Even my suffering has purpose. So we cry out with Paul. I cried to him to remove the thorn in my flesh. And he said, my grace is sufficient. And did Paul go, God, I'm quitting. God's not been good to me. Timothy, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. There's laid up for me the crown of life. Going on. Is that how you live the faith? That, that's how Paul lived the faith. That's how he understood his status before God. I'm racked with brokenness physically, but in Christ, I'm His. Wow. Third and finally, we've been given wisdom and insight. That he has lavished on us. We've been given wisdom and insight. Which he has lavished on us. Let me read verse 7 to 10 again. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. You ever read Paul and just skip over this stuff? It's easy to just read this stuff. And it passes through one ear. And then out the other. And we move on and go about our day. Just me, please let me encourage you to stop and read slowly. And think on what this means. Glorious riches in Christ. According to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. We've been given wisdom and insight, and He has lavished upon us wisdom and insight. There is a sense... In which we have wisdom and insight that we didn't have because we've been made alive. So we were dead. He made us alive in Christ. And He has given us wisdom and insight. But there is a sense in which we need to continually train the blessings of wisdom and insight. Listen to 1 Corinthians two fourteen to 16 the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is to be judged by no one for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Because we're in Christ and he's placed his Spirit in us, we have the mind of Christ. We can think like Jesus thinks. Do you understand that about you? You have because of Holy Spirit. You can think with the Bible and His Word. You can think. You can you can think on the kingdom the way Jesus thinks on the kingdom. You ever read your Bible and wonder why? God, oh, man, how does Piper get there? Right? How does D. A. Carson get there? You know, we know how Osteen gets there. It's by closing it. Put on. That was pretty funny. You got to give him some credit on that one. That's not even written down in the notes right there. That was that's pretty funny. <laughs> I want to hear. I want you to hear this, and I want to demystify this whole thing. Sometimes people say, "Man, you read. Man, you're up there. I don't know where that stuff comes from." 
Dude, just hear this. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with anything I have that you don't have. You hear that? You've been given the mind of Christ. In Christ Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said His ministry would be to counsel you, teach you, speak to you, remind you of everything He said. You have Holy Spirit in you. You have the mind of Christ. You have the same capacity I have. You have the same Bible. We're reading out the same book. It's not like I have a special manual in my office. It's kind of like hidden. And you open the box up and it glows. And oh, it's like, that's where it comes from. No. It's, it's right there. It's defined words and their relationship. This is one of the things we're talking about the doctrine of the Word of God and systematic theology this week is this thing is intended to be read by everybody, understood by everybody, in whom the Spirit dwells, and applied by everybody. This is why that church over there where they invited me to come is growing so exponentially quick is they don't pin it on the spiritual people. They all are engaged with Bible open making disciples. Lose control of the network. There is no control. The kingdom's exploding. Why? Because all of them have the mind of Christ. They can read the Bible. They they work at it a little more than us because they're not too busy playing on their phones, checking Twitter and Facebook and stressing because they didn't like my status. Oh my gosh. They're in the manual doing life together, making disciples, advancing the gospel in the dark places. Persecuted, holding on to Jesus, because Jesus is better than life. You have the mind of Christ. This is a precious gift. But there's a sense in which we have to train. Listen to Hebrews 5.14. This is, this is why Piper and Carson, we look at them and go, how'd they get there? You know how they got there? They trained. You look at some athletes and you go, how did they get there? They trained. Some of those cats were willing to pay the price in the gym eight hours a day. That's how they got there. I'm good with an hour at CrossFit and I walk on and then go eat my chicken fingers and eat my ice cream. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. They paid the price. How does Carson get there? Hebrews 5.14 But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained... This is where I'm getting the language training from. By constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You see, we live in a body that is racked from the fall, and yet we have the blessing of wisdom and insight. And somehow we have to train that wisdom and insight. How do we train these? We train our wisdom and insight through constant practice in the source of wisdom and insight, in the knowledge of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And that would be the manual. As we search the Scriptures, and I hope your Bible's worn out from searching, oh Jesus, I need an answer today. I don't know how I'm going to... I don't know how I'm going to make it today. If you don't do something, I've read my Bible reading plan and nothing makes sense today. Would you speak from the, would you give me something? If that's not how you read your Bible, you're missing it. We live in a body wrapped from the fall. And yet we've been given this blessing of wisdom and insight and we have to train it. How do we train it? The manual. As we read scripture... And as we live in the spiritual blessing of being alive in Christ, we have to ask, why did Jesus give us wisdom and insight? 
Why have we been blessed in Christ with this precious gift of wisdom and insight? We know we can possess wisdom because we're told to ask Father for it in James. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. Proverbs asserts that we can get wisdom because the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. We can have spiritual insight because we have the mind of Christ and we can discern spiritual truths. But Paul says in our passage today that he's lavished on us In Christ, wisdom and insight for a very specific purpose. What is that purpose? Listen. Which He lavished upon us, comma, in all wisdom and insight, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, comma, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. What is the purpose for which we've been blessed in Christ with wisdom and insight? Well, let me give them to you. If you're looking in the notes, i got four little things here, and they're just the words of the text set apart with lines underneath them so you can see them. He gave us wisdom and insight, lavished it on us to know the mystery of His will. That is according to His purpose that He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and on earth. In other words, we've been lavishly blessed with wisdom and insight to know the Father's past hidden mystery When the Bible in the New Testament uses the word mystery, it's not this thing that you now have to go search for. The idea is something that was hidden in the past, but has now been revealed in the person of Christ. So when Paul says here, mystery, he means something that was hidden in the past. That has now been revealed in Christ. We've been blessed lavishly with wisdom and insight to know the Father's mystery the mystery of His will, of great purpose in Christ at just the right time to unite all things physically and spiritually in Christ Jesus. This is another way of telling the Ephesians and telling us that we've been blessed with the ability to know Jesus Christ and His kingdom. To know the kingdom and to know the kingdom has come And what the Father is doing in the kingdom. We know as a blessing in Christ. That rebellion against the rebellion has begun. And we know the orders of the Father. And we know what the orders will achieve. And we know this truth. And we know this lavishly. There is nothing hidden from us about the uniting of all things in Christ in the kingdom. Did you hear this text? Did you hear the purpose? Do you understand the function of a purpose clause? To? To unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and on earth. See, what has happened from the fall is all things broke. They were disjointed. The family unit was broken. The family unit was destroyed. The earth broke. The spiritual dimensions broke. All things broke. 
And for this period of time, in the fall, all things are spiraling out from under the headship of Christ. It doesn't take long to see it, does it? Just watch the news. But God's good plan was in the fullness of time, the sun would come and He would break the curse. And no longer would it be always winter and never Christmas, but the curse would be broken, the thaw would start taking place, and the king would be on the prowl, uniting all things again underneath his banner. That's the function of the kingdom. The kingdom is expanding and growing. The rule of Christ, bringing all things back under His rulership, is taking place. Jesus is on the prowl. Aslan is on the move. The kingdom is advancing. He is fixing. He's repairing. He's reversing the curse. And we've been given wisdom and insight to see and know and be involved in that work. You tracking? This is what Tim Keller says about the kingdom of God. He said, we know that the kingdom is the renewal of the whole world through the entrance of supernatural forces. As things are brought back under Christ's rule and authority, they are restored to health, beauty, and freedom. And Father has graciously blessed us with the inside information and power of His kingdom to subdue creation and bring all of creation in the heavens and on earth back under the rule of Christ in complete unity with the curse of the fall being reversed. This is what's happening in the advance of the gospel and taking back all the things for Christ and by His power. Jesus taught us this truth. And He taught us in His parables that He's given us this wisdom and insight. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and because hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. And he quotes a passage in Isaiah 6 about their blind status. And then he says to his disciples, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. That's why I taught in parables. You see, you have wisdom, you have insight. I've given it to you as a gift. You see what I'm up to. The kingdom is a treasure hidden in a field. When a man finds it, he goes and sells all he has and buys a field. Why? Because the kingdom is more valuable than anything he owns. My rule, my uniting of all things back under me is worth selling everything for because that is the kingdom to come. Don't buy into this kingdom. It won't last. Buy into my kingdom. It will last forever. We have wisdom and insight to see that. Kingdom is like a pearl of great price. When a man finds he sells everything and buys it. The kingdom is yeast and dough. And it's making its way into leavening the whole lump. Jesus said, I've given you eyes and discernment to know and see and see these things and join me in them. We have that wisdom and insight. So the role of the believer is to be engaged in advance of the kingdom because we see, we perceive, and we know because we have that as a gift. 
Do you practice that? Are you involved in the advance of the kingdom? Are you out front because you're exercising this precious gift of knowing what Jesus is up to in culture and joining Him in it? Didn't Jesus teach us to pray like this? You read the... It's not the Lord's Prayer. Jesus doesn't need to pray like this. We do. So it's the disciples' prayer. Get it? How does it start? Lord, I need you to bail me out of my trouble today because I've been stupid. Help me, Jesus. How did he teach us to pray? Father in heaven, hallow your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, above feeding me today, he doesn't get to provide me bread till later. Above my provision, bring your kingdom. Bring your kingdom, bring your rule. Unite all things under yourself today. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, hands and feet that will go and be involved in this work. Help me to see and be involved with you today. You have that. Paul said this is part of our blessing in Christ. His eyes that see and ears that hear. So that we can be on the front edge of the kingdom coming. This is why it's not appropriate for Christians to be sitting doing nothing. The kingdom is coming. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is on the prowl and He's bringing all things underneath Himself and His rule? You should because He is. This is why you can walk in the mosque and meet them on their turf because the kingdom is coming. Aslan's on the move. And you might just be the instrument by which He walks in the door. And you have eyes to see and ears to hear, so go! Do you feel that? That's your blessing in Christ. Not to sit back and go, gosh, I wonder. Hmm. Let me just turn back on the game. No! You have eyes that see and ears that hear. And we've been lavishly blessed with this wisdom to say, Lord, bring your kingdom today. Make your name great. And as I go... Would you kind of give me some bread? Because I'm going to get hungry. So would you kind of give me that? And if I've messed anybody up, forgive me. And I mean, forgive them because I'm stupid too. You're right. Bring your kingdom. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear. Help me to go. I've been lavishly blessed to see that. And believers sitting on their hands. Conclusion. If I just stay on my notes, it'll be done in 30 minutes. I'm like, Sorry. Here we go. What do we do with these blessings? Redeemed, forgiven, wisdom and insight. What do we do? First, you can rest secured in your position of being created, sought, and rescued. Listen, rest. Rest. Rest, you belong to Him. Your past sin's not hung on you anymore. Rest. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And even if you are in deep now, you've been given the grace of walking out because it's not counted against you and it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I got ahead of myself, that's number three. Number two, we can leave the guilt of our past in the past. Three, we can abandon our current sins and the guilt of current failure because the kindness of God to not remember my sin will lead me to repentance. You ever notice... If you'll walk yourself through the gospel when you sin, 
there's this just overwhelming sense of gratitude, yet sort of I'm a, I'm kind of afraid to pray because I'm, I'm sort of part of me thinks he's going to kick me in the face. But I got to, I need to. You know what I'm feeling? You're kind of like, ah, Jesus, I'm sorry. And, 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 and you get this kind of tension going on there. When you walk yourself through the gospel, what you realize is the fact that he doesn't want to kick you in the face, but the fact that he wants to love you and lavish on you redemption and forgiveness causes you to not give in and you just, Lord Jesus, thank you. And you know there's nothing you can bring to atone for it, so you just kind of, for, for me, the first words are thank you. Because there's nothing there that he's going to kick you over. Isn't that awesome? That Jesus isn't waiting around the corner to hit me with a two-by-four. But he is the... He's the father and the prodigal son that sees him coming from a long way off and has got a party prepared for him. He's the waiting father. Number four, we can grow our wisdom and insight into the mission of the father. And when we can increase our work in the mission. As we grow in seeing the fine-tuned way in which all things are being brought back into submission to Christ. As we grow, we can grow also in seeing that part of the way He's doing that is through our daily work and our daily thought. We learn to take every thought captive in our domain of society by leading, repairing, subduing, transforming, and teaching and making disciples in every domain. We have the wisdom and insight in doing this work. Have you ever viewed your job like this? My job exists because I'm part of repairing the portion, and particularly this portion of what's been broken in the fall. And as an agent of the rebellion against the rebellion, I will reclaim the ground and this ground for King Jesus and seek kingdom come and Jesus' will being done right here as it's done in heaven. Try that tomorrow morning. Is I'm repairing what's been broken from the rebellion today. Jesus, bring your kingdom right here today. Try that on. That's not mind games. It's not mind hocus pocus. That's real kingdom mentality in approaching the domains of society because Jesus really is repairing the broken world and you are his agents. And finally, we can sing with all of creation because he's redeemed us. And he will be glorified in spite of what it may look like in the moment. Father will win the day. I'm going to close with Isaiah 44, 21 to 23. Would you bow your heads and listen to this? And I pray this would fall on your ears. Just no distractions. I want you to hear this. And my prayer is that you will respond. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. Father, today I pray 
that we, your people, would join with creation in singing to you for what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. You are totally and completely worthy of the trees to sing to you, for the rocks to cry out, for the stars to sing. And the pinnacle of creation, how dare we remain silent. So because you've redeemed us and forgiven us and given us wisdom and insight to know your purpose and your will to unite all things in Christ, would you bring forth from these lips praise and make your name great, please.